Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome into episode 68 of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me, as always, is the good brother, TF Joker. Joker, what's the crack, man? What's going on, bud? Oh, you know, took a, we, we, we took a bit of a break there, and uh, we, we, we sort of went out into the ether, and I just sort of existed for a period of time. Just, you know, sleeping and eating and sleeping and eating and sleeping and drinking and watching wrestling all the while. Yes, yeah, so some of you noticed from the previous episode 67, we ended up taking uh, just a couple weeks off. I know uh, for myself, I'll speak for myself only, uh, just a bit under the weather, some things came up. Uh, my computer has been on the fritz. You know what? Sometimes when it rains, it pours and kind of things sort of all happen together. So a little bit of a hodgepodge. Just wanted to make sure that uh, things were relatively kind of going a little bit better before we sort of jumped in and kind of give you a little bit of a uh, poor production or just kind of uh, oddball or kind of poor show. So that was a little bit on uh, myself per se. Uh, but, you know, I just wanted to make sure that we at least can give you a good performance and some good entertainment and a good show going forward. And I mean, as PT does edit these episodes, it's probably not good that if he tries to edit them, his PC blows up. So PC problems aside and illness aside, we back, baby. We are indeed. And a lot of things happened over the couple weeks that we were off uh, from production of the show. Uh, just some... Things kind of sorted, uh, a lot of kind of miscellaneous things, some championships won, uh, some championship loss, uh, some folks going back and forth. And most recently, we ended up having an AW pay-per-view the previous weekend, or last week when this video slash podcast slash show is released. We ended up having a wrestle dream from that, uh, and of course, in honor of Antonio Inoki which was the big precipice for that. Um, real quick, Joker, was there anything that maybe you remember fondly or that you took away or something that you remembered from Wrestle Dream this past weekend? There was a couple of things uh, that I liked and I disliked about Wrestle Dream. Um, one of the, the bright spots was John Moxley on commentary. Absolutely adored John Moxley on commentary because he was just so passionate. Him and Nigel McGuinness just going at it on commentary seen the pictures of them both standing up and yelling him covering his microphone and swearing and just all you hear in the background is uh, just Excalibur going swear jar it's like but I covered my microphone he was just fantastic I loved him I thought it was great um one of the worst things and I, I I say this every single time it seems to happen doesn't matter if it's a women's match or a men's match MJF beating the righteous does absolutely nothing for the righteous when we were trying to maybe sort of put them over as a legitimate threat. Um, and absolutely everything for MJF because, well, they still have the titles. The match wasn't, like, super good, but, I mean, it keeps MJF in the sphere because he's not currently doing any big title matches, uh, what with the story with him and his brochacho. Other than that, 
Um, one of the best matches on the card was obviously the Brian Anderson Zack Sabre Jr. match. Uh, it was very, very fun. And um, yeah, I suppose, uh, I suppose also Eddie Kingston and uh, Kasuyu Shibata was uh, was another pretty dang good match. And I loved Eddie just kind of walking off, letting Shibata stand in the ring, even though Kingston won. He gave Shibata uh, his his time in the sun, especially for uh, for having such a big match. Yeah, there's a, probably a lot of elements from that show as well. Uh, just some of the highlights, like you mentioned, just in terms of the Ring of Honor tag team titles. Unfortunately, Adam Cole jumping off the stage at Grand Slam, trying to be in the corner of MJF for his title defense against uh, Samoa Joe. Unfortunately, just had a accident and injured his ankle. So, you know, they're trying to work around that. Yeah, it was one of those weird things that he's also happens to be the world champion in a tag team match opening the show for a tag the secondary tag team title. So, you know, it was kind of a, a almost a no win situation where you you want to have a strong contender for the righteous, but then also you can't have MJF lose to maybe somebody that you have built up strong in per se the righteous, but then. Also, it's a handicap match, so it was, yeah, it was a weird thing. You probably knew MJF was going to win, but yeah, it was a tough spot all around. And it's crazy how sometimes you and I think exactly alike because, of course, mind the fact that when you know Chris, when I heard Christian Cage and uh, Darby Allen were going to main event, I'm like, sure as day that uh, Mister Mister Edge Cage or Sexton Hardcastle or the uh, Adam Copeland, per se, pretty much knew he's going to more than likely debut because they did a little thing with the Adam Cole, Brian Danielson piece at the end of Double or Nothing, uh, you know, a couple of years back. So that's kind of their MO. But obviously that was an exciting element. But man, you and I, it's scary how much you were on the same page because my biggest highlight was John Moxley on commentaries. The specific facts of how him breaking down Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson, how they're both strong technical wrestlers, but exhibiting the specificity of their technical prowess, more so Brian being a uh, stand-up uh, with the strikes, as well as a reactionary, so he'll let you grab a hold of him so he can counter, but then Zack Sabre Jr. is more the uh, sort of well-rounded ground game element, and he'll put you know, he'll, he'll put you in an Indian deathlock, but then also grab the arm and then transfer to a cross face too. So he's got, you only have one arm free of all your appendages, but yeah, uh, all around just kind of fun show, uh, because it was a uh, new pay-per-view. Maybe some folks weren't expecting a huge amount of expectations coming out of it, but yeah, I think it was just a, a fun show. AW shows are long, 13, 14 matches. You know, my boy Eddie Kingston, like you mentioned, from uh, my neck of the woods out in New York City. Love to see him win, so have a strong showing. Love to see, yeah, I thought it was a, thought it was a, a fun and engaging show all around, to be, to be fair. Yeah, it definitely was engaging, uh, because there was, there was a lot of stuff that was there that tied up stories, opened up stories, made them. Um, like the Luchasaurus Nick Wayne match, the very start uh, on the pre-show was pretty good. Um, for the story that went on later on in the Christian Cage Darby Allen match, the Claudio match where he defeated Josh Barnett, that was a really good pre-show match. That went on later on to the Brand Danielson Zaxiver Jr. match. Uh, just things like that there. The Eddie Kingston sort of love for Japan uh, and the New Japan style wrestling that the the 
the wrestling that he has grown up loving, and then just obviously everything that happened with the Young Bucks match because let's face it, it was absolutely hectic. And I loved it, and I love seeing Hook in the ring with those guys. Um, it was it was probably a little bit too hectic though. Uh, fourteen matches all told from start to finish is somewhat massive compared to the the paper we're going to talk about today which only had five certainly a differing perspective as well as philosophy when it comes to pay-per-views specifically but we've noticed an increase maybe adding a couple more shows on the aw side this year this calendar year of course but we'll knows i heard murmurings that wrestle dream might become an additional yearly event so we we've looks like we're having all in and wrestle dream added to the pay-per-view calendar for AEW subsequently for 2024 so i mean we'll see if it continues to be 13 14 15 matches on a card or maybe they'll kind of see again this is sort of their kind of biggest year pay-per-view wise with the number of events but cool we we had this conversation a while ago i believe about their pay-per-views and we're both fine with once a quarter like once a quarter i think you know for the fledgling sort of AEW was fine but I always kind of felt that they were going to add more um, because like, how could you give up that? If you gain that popularity, how could you give up that money that's just sitting on the table for more pay-per-views, more buy-ins and things like that there. And um, I think they need to get the timing right. I think they need to get the booking of the cards correct, not just sort of slap together seven or eight car, uh, matches the, the week before. If it has to go down to like eight matches on the card, you know, TK, just let it go to eight matches on the card. Just make sure they're good matches, give people their time, and, you know, have the stories going into them. Give me reasons to want to watch the match. Um, but yeah, I think that's just the, that's just going to be the growth of AEW. We see, probably see more um, structure added to their uh, pay per views. And yeah, I, uh, I kind of want them to do a Saturday pay-per-view if they're going to do 14 matches because it would just give me all day Sunday. Monday, mon- I have to spread this pay-per-view over a Monday, Tuesday sometimes. And it's just, it, it's not on. It can be a tough sell now that they have Collision on Saturday, so they might stay with the Sunday deals. Oh, yeah. But, well, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of see. Every, every once in a while, WCW used to do their... Saturday show, 6.05 to 8.05, and then have a, a pay-per-view. That used to be sort of the kind of pre-show element type of thing. But, I mean, thanks to be seen how they'll do that going forward. So, appreciate everybody allowing us to have a little Brucey bonus segment. Talking about a little AEW and the pay-per-view. Uh, definitely let us know what your thoughts are on the pay-per-view itself. But with that, let's actually kick into the show proper and kind of get into the flow. So appreciate you allowing us a moment to catch up. All right, as a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil and in audio form wherever you get your podcast from. On this week's episode, we look at the fallout from WWE Fastlane. We're going to be looking at the matches that took place, just giving our thoughts and a little bit of a review and kind of see what we're going to do with the pay-per-view itself and perhaps going forward. So, with that. WWE Fast Lane, of course, perhaps a C-level pay-per-view. Not quite the Mania 
a Royal Rumble, maybe not even a money in the bank, no disrespect, maybe that's a high B level, maybe a B plus player if we're doing a little throwback ski, but Fastlane, I can't... very generous, PT, they're all quite too generous for my liking. (laughs) With all due respect, I couldn't even tell you the last time a Fastlane pay-per-view was held, can you? Uh, I can tell you for sure that it was held in the Thunderdome era because Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura had a match there too. There you go. So we're going to have a yearly Fastlane Shinsuke Nakamura Seth Rollins match. Not that that's foreshadowing or anything, but maybe that's just a little bit of the booking. Either way, the show is starting off with Tag Team Championship match as we see The Judgment Day, Finn Balor and Damian Priest, taking on the sort of hodgepodge and thrown together team of Cody Rhodes and main event Jey Uso, of course, for the Undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship. It's always one of those weird things when you have a team that has, you know, a good sort of sense of each other now, obviously, with being almost, yeah, actually, you know, a full year now, Finn being alongside Damien in the Judgment Day. And of course, over the last, what, number of months, they've developed some tag team cohesion. So, I think it's fair to say them kind of being a tag team would be fair. Juxtaposed with the hodgepodge or thrown together tag team of singles stars, uh, with Jay kind of being on his own, and of course Cody obviously being a single star himself. You're always scared because wrestling has a penchant for the thrown together tag team is going to beat the well-oiled machine actual tag team, and uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But I had a couple notes from the match itself some nice early teamwork from jay and cody setting each other up exchanging some tags relatively smooth in the uh, early going jay taking the bulk of the heat with the ever ready cody on the apron working towards the hot tag we get a nice sequence between cody and finn once we finally get that hot tag uh from jay to cody running forearm into an up and over into a power slam and disaster kick was really smooth They felt like they were comfortable with one another. They've had, and this is of course Cody and Finn, quite a bit of matches on the house show circuit, so good to see that parlay into that. Of course, it's a Judgment Day match, so we have to have Dominic come in. He gets super kicked by Jay. We have a nice little standoff with Jay Uso and Rhea Ripley on the outside, which causes enough of a distraction for Finn to cut off Jay from the top rope. We get that super baby face plot armor of Jay taking a briefcase shot from Rhea, but still kicking out. We get those nice, if this was a Raw or a SmackDown, absolutely would have been a pin, but because it's a pay-per-view, brother, we're getting that kick out because the match has got to go on. We got to fill time, my dude. And then we get some friendly fire from JD McDonough accidentally hitting Damian Priest in the knee with the briefcase. Watching Priest's knee buckle, looked so nasty i have a bad left knee and when i ended up watching the replay of it too and just kind of folded in it was absolutely like gross looking so by all accounts damien's relatively okay so i'm selling that but it just looked ridiculously disgusting in the moment and then of course we had cody subsequently taking damien out with a crossroads on the announce table the finish sees jay hit a super kick on finn Jay lifts Finn up for Cody to hit a Cody cutter in a sort of semi 1D, 3D hybrid spot. 
Of course, Cody hits the crossroads, and Cody and Jay win the undisputed tag team championships in 2040. Joker, what were your impressions of this match? Oh, I hated it so much. So much was wrong with this. What are we doing with these tag titles? Why? Like, we split Jay from Jimmy as a shtick to, you know, the, the whole bloodline thing. We broke up a celebrated tag team who, during their run with the bloodline, broke the New Day's record for holding those undisputed tag titles. And we put him together with another single star, Cody Rhodes, who we have mishandled and misappropriated because we got to have Roman break uh, good old brother man's Hulk Hogan's record uh, sometime next year. I believe it's September next year. So what are we doing, Papa H? Like, the match itself was fine. I, I too, have a great fear of not liking uh, when people um people's knees buckle and legs and I, I I've been watching the rugby world cup recently that's been going on and just seeing some of them big blokes just take uh take absolute tackles to the legs. You're like, oh please dear just just kind kindly just calm down. And then just seeing that last night I was like mm, no please please don't do that. Thankfully, you know, Damien Priest okay, whatever, cool. That that being said what are we doing with these uh, tag titles, PT? I just, I need them split. I've needed them split for months now. This sort of idea of giving the, the undisputed tag titles to random conglomerations of people, like you said earlier, the, the, the mixture of Finn and Damien makes sense because they're within a faction, but there's still two single stars which can be shown by the fact that Damien Priest is send your money in the bank. Like, please pick a lane for your, for your characters here to stay in because even the guys that pinned them aren't a tag team. They're tagging for that specific match for no other reason than Cody Rhodes got Jay his job back. Like, it makes no sense. I love Cody, I love Jay, I love what they're doing, they're big baby faces and, and them fighting the Judgment Day as a sort of placeholder for the bloodline makes sense. Them taking the titles does not. And I didn't like it. Didn't like the outcome at all. I'll agree with you in the fact that I think the, the match itself, very entertaining, a lot of little story elements. I think it was just a really good tag team matchup. With working towards the hot tag, the one of the guys taking the heat and then pairing off, and the pairs worked seemingly well together amongst themselves. Yeah, I think it's one of those, like I had mentioned in the opening of this little section, is that, yeah, the thrown-together tag team of single stars actually defeating the actual tag team is just, I mean, it's a trope throughout wrestling for years. It's nothing specific to one federation or another. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those odd things. You... Note, you noted that the tag team championships, ever since the Usos had combined the two, because they were the SmackDown and they won yep. the Raw titles from Randy Orton and Matt Riddle, you know, that's been, they've been together. For the Usos to actually, they were, they were putting in work and they were defending. And then on to WrestleMania this year, we had Sammy and KO. I can give that that's 
an actual tag team because they've had chemistry for years. So they can be thrown together as a tag team. You can make an argument for that. They didn't have a ton of defenses. It was very kind of in between. I mean, even the pay-per-view right after was a backlash. They had a six man with the Usos and uh, Solo with uh, Sammy KO and Riddle. So it was like, what are we even doing here? To transfer that over to the Judgment Day, actually made note the Judgment Day's reign was 35 days. Now on to Cody and Jay. So maybe it's one of those where, I don't know. We didn't want to necessarily have a babyface team beat KO and uh, Sammy, but then we gave a little bit of momentum. We've talked about in previous episodes, of course, Judgment Day being super hot. I mean, every Raw for months, and especially, and it's been very bad in the last two months, three months, opens the show possibly with a promo. Judgment Day comes out. All right, let's do a tag team match. Holla, holla, holla. Where's The Undertaker at? And it ends the show or has a and a match towards the third hour of the Judgment Day in either tag and or a six-man against some people. I mean, that's literally almost every single Raw for the last two or three months. But to finish the point, maybe to give the tag team titles off of uh, Sammy and KO to Judgment Day, give them a little bit of Rubski, but then you also have, like you said, Damien is the Money in the Bank holder. This literally match came together, what, I think, on Monday? On Raw, they just happened to announce it, perhaps. It wasn't a long build at all, so maybe this was perhaps a quicker decision with less than a week's booking to be like, all right, let's maybe change it up a little bit. Uh, Let's have Cody finish a story, get the championship, and let's do the thing. So I don't know, but it was the match itself was really fun and engaging. The storyline quite possibly leaves a lot to desire. Yeah, the match's fun. Uh, I, I don't know. Cody Cody hasn't finished any story. He's just sort of opened a brand new book and went, I think we're just going to write some children's fairy tales for now. Um, it was just, it's just so pointless, PT, for me to, to see uh, splitting up a long-term tag team in the Usos to give Jay his singles run, to give Jimmy his singles run. And recently they've just been exclusively doing tag team stuff anyway. Both Jimmy and Jay have been doing multiple person matches. They can't seem to get away from being in a tag team, even though they're now both single stars, heavy air quotes. It's just so blooming annoying. I would have preferred to have seen a Cody Rhodes versus Finn Balor, a Cody Rhodes versus Damian Priest, a Jay Uso versus Finn or Damian. It doesn't matter to me. But I just didn't want to see a tag team match. I know I understand that there's this sort of thrown together Judgment Day are the most powerful, uh, you know, faction now that the Bloodline doesn't have Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns is coming back to SmackDown. And everything has to be authorized, you know, and all this here. We are now in a world where we have some strong factions starting to emerge. The LWO is. Something is being pushed a little bit more. We have whatever Bobby Lashley's faction that is per- currently popping up. That's another faction. But both of those are on uh, SmackDown, and both of them have established tag teams. So, like, why don't we have those tag teams sort of do something with that there? We also have the New Day, who are perennial tag team specialists and in 
a freebird faction whenever Big E is is hopefully going to be able to come back. But why don't we have them in the mix? Like, this is a company that has these tag titles um, and they are trying to make them as relevant as they have made the Intercontinental and uh, US title. But unfortunately, they're not AEW. They don't have good plot points for their tag teams. Like AEW Ram Tag Team Wrestling down your throat ad nauseum. Everything has to be a tag match because that's the way Matt and Nick want everything to be. But they don't, at least they don't sort of smash two single stars together at the drop of a hat. They have all these established uh, tag teams that just so happen to be really, really good when you split them up individually anyway. You know, Ray Phoenix, Penta, you know, Matt and Nick actually are pretty dang good, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. But I just don't think WWE have anybody in that writing room that understands what they need to do with tag, tag, tag team wrestling. And these titles deserve to be split apart. They deserve to be given to tag team wrestlers. And we deserve to see tag team wrestling actually shown to be good. Because at this point in time, we just had a tag team match for the undisputed WWE tag team titles with four single stars and it was bloody pointless yeah it's quite interesting uh, a couple of points there yeah jay and jimmy split apart from their tag team but have been in the mostly multi-man and tag team matches like you said so what's that super weird thing anyway what are we doing yeah the fed itself wwe wwf hasn't had the greatest track record of pushing and or wanting or showcasing tag team wrestling oddly enough there's three tag matches on this show uh and only one one-on-one match that we'll talk about a little later on uh we'll wind down this point with a final notion i mentioned it to you briefly offline with the seemingly judgment day and or the bloodline which is really just uh, solo and jimmy for argumentative sakes making a little bit of an alliance per se I told you, really, I'm thinking if there's a possibility of a War Games match, I see mostly uh, Judgment Day versus the team. Judgment Day with JD McDonough taking on the team of Cody, Jay, Kevy, Kevin, and Sammy. But I could see them adding maybe one or the two extra, the Jimmy and the Solo thing. Is that something that even rings any bell? Because it looks like we've been riding that into the ground with the combination of these guys well with how things are going right now november is survivor series season and it's not very long away yeah maybe five six weeks potentially yeah yeah potentially and we have the opportunity to build into a judgment day bloodline hybrid team to take on john cena la knight cody rhodes jay uso and a fifth now, that is a match that I would watch. And it would be, let's say for argument's sake, it's going to be uh, Jimmy and uh, Solo, obviously. So you would have the three lads, you know, just kind of JD McDonough after his uh, recent failure, I don't think is going to be accepted quite readily just yet. Uh, so it'll be uh, Damien Finn and uh, Dominico, uh, Dirty Dom himself. And uh, it'll be Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, John Cena, 
LA Knight, and I don't know who else you could add in there right now. Nothing's kind of popping straight into my head. But fifth person, that would be a five on five I'd be okay to see. Uh, and it's just because those are the sort of individuals. Oh, maybe an AJ Styles comes back from uh, injury and he'll be the fifth person. But, you know, it's things like that there that they could easily sort of work into Jeopardy as, oh, no, we're going in four versus five. And then it's time for the fifth person to come out and it's AJ Styles. Uh, so, yeah. Something like that would be fun. Um, I definitely do see that uh, as we're com- we're pulling closer to it, it's going to be some form of Judgment Day bloodline, especially with this sor- sort of approval from uh, the Tribal Chief for them to work together this past SmackDown. So, yeah. All right, you heard it here first. Our making our prediction, our spoiler, if you will, War Games, Judgment Day, possible bloodline hybrid team taking on super mega baby faces. Cena, if the if he's still around, could be in it, and if he's not because of the writer strike and the actor strike potentially winding down, we can definitely slot in. We have a Cam- Kevin or a Sammy or you know somebody possibly to swoop in, and AJ is a really good thing. So yeah, definitely uh, some players in that. So those were our thoughts on the Cody and Jay winning the tag team titles. Let us know down in the comment section below. And or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, let us know what your thoughts are. And if you also think we're going to have a War Games match with a little bit of a hybrid team with Judgment Day and Bloodline. All right, the next match we're going to look at, six-man tag. Because this is WWE, it's not a trio. We've got Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. We're going to figure out a name later on, of course. Taking on the Latino World Order, the LWO of Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar. At the moment, it's going to be a two-on-three handicap match at the moment. Of course, brought to you in part by Pizza Hut. Hashtag not sponsored. But uh, nice little... We we aren't sponsored, but they were heavily sponsored. As if you watched the pay-per-view, you would see a lot of pizza in the hut. Man, this was... They had the sort of a pre-match advert, just a backstage segment, of course. Then they had the panels on the ring apron as well as the barricades that just literally had it smeared all over. It was ridiculous. Cool. So I mean, hey, if you if somebody wants to throw us a sponsor, we'll take it. So you know, make sure it's. I'll uh, eat it's some right pizza and say your pizza's good. Sure. We have it in the states. Do you have a, a Pizza Hut over in the UK? Over in yeah, Ireland? we have Pizza Hut here. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I think the only thing I can't confidently say we have is like a Papa John's, but I'm pretty sure that might be yeah. somewhere in Ireland. Um. Because I'm pretty sure I've heard of it, but other than that, this is not a pizza podcast. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those because I'm. If uh, folks that remember or recall, longtime listeners know I'm from New York City. So if we were doing pizza, it'd be usually from a, a local shop that uh, you know you just, you get a pizza pie, you get a slice, things of that nature. Um, I really don't didn't have Pizza Huts around us. We'd get the occasional like a Domino's or maybe someone else, but it was usually just local shops. To be honest. So. We have like three just where I live, but everybody just goes Domino's or Pizza Hut. So there you go. All right, thanks for sharing. Let us know if you have a a uh, chain pizza shop around you. Let us know down in the comments below. And what do you prefer, uh, Joker? Real quick, just off the top of my head, uh, what what kind of pizza would you uh, like if you were ordering a pie or getting a slice? Meat lovers, just meat lovers. Just throw all that meat, some peppers. I don't care. Just give me it all. 
Cool. Yeah, that's fine with me. Maybe I'll get like a Supreme veggies. Just a bunch of stuff on there I'm cool with, so sounds good. Uh, definitely let us know what your favorite kind of pizza is. But in terms of the match itself, uh, before we got into it, I really liked that Bobby and the Street Profits had this matching black and gold attire looking real sharp. Whenever a group can have similar color scheme, even if it's staying within their tire, like how Dawkins has like the singlet with either the shorts or, or long uh, tights, you know, and then uh, type of thing like that. But I really love when they have matching, you know, it's a cohesive unit type of thing. Really love yep. to see that. I mean, it, it makes a lot more sense than having, say, in the previous match, Cody and Jay just coming out looking haphazardly against Damien and Finn, who at least had matching colors. So, yeah, no, I, I love when when uh, people fit the brief. Yeah, if, if perhaps Cody maybe went with one of the, his blue tights, because uh, just to even just have the same color scheme as Jay would have been it looked a lot smoother. But I digress. Uh, real quick, hot start with Santos and Montez punctuated, of course, with that top rope Hurricane Rana just would look absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the athleticism of both of those guys, especially Montez, people have talked at nauseum, but really, really smooth. Uh, we see Santos and then Ray, of course, getting dominated for a good portion of the match as you do with baby faces by the heels. Uh, we get a nice spot after Montez pulls Santos off of the apron for a tag attempt. Zelina Vega. It's Ford with a Meteora. Of course, I had made of note, it's not a DQ because the referee, Jessica Carr, was checking on Ray, so she didn't see the interference by Zelina Vega. We get Ray once again trying to work to the hot tag when, of course, we get to hear, you know what cool is, and Carlito makes his way to the ring, gets up on the apron for a hot tag, so apparently he's legal in this match, even though he wasn't introduced. Runs wild, some clotheslines, and a nice-looking dropkick on Montez Ford. And the finish sees Ray hitting a seated senton on Angelo Dawkins on the outside. Bobby taking out Ray right after. Santos hitting a nice tope suicida to Lashley. Ford back in the ring gets tries to go for a roll-up attempt on Carlito, but he misses an inseguri. Carlito hits the backstabber for the win in 10 minutes flat. Joker, what were your thoughts and impressions on this one? I'm really annoyed that I didn't get to hear a spit in the face of people who don't want to be cool. And then just, you know, hearing that original music because that's, that's, that's high. I was like, wait, is that, is that Car like I spent the entire time him running and going, going on. Is that going to be Carlito's music? That's awful. In a post pandemic world, it's not good to spit in the people's face of who don't want to be cool or who are cool. No, 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 Carlito should still spit in the face of people who don't want to be cool because Carlito's meant to be cool. He didn't have an apple, so he didn't bring it down and spit in anybody's face. I get that, but his entrance can still be pre-pandemic, PK, okay? Safety, uh, brother, <laughs> safety. Let's come on now. <laughs> I, did like, I did like this match. I love Anaheim with the Prophets in it. Um, I've talked ad nauseum about how much I love Montez Ford. Uh, earlier in the year, I was hyping him up for a singles run. This is, you know, a, a very close second for me because I love Angelo Dawkins. Doc also went on a huge tear in the middle of the year and deserves all, all of, uh, all of this popularity um, that Bobby Lashley can bring. And Bobby Lashley knows the game. He knows that if he's going to make a run at a title, he needs people behind him. He's not one of these stupid individual wrestlers that just kind of goes oh i'll just tag with whoever is popular at the time to get myself over i'm gonna have myself a faction that i'm gonna build 
and I am going to bring excellence to and with, and it's just going to be so good. And the fact that they are feuding against mini feud supposedly right now against the LWO, which again has its own really nice dynamic of the faction. I can see maybe Jade Cargill going here and being absolutely uh, the 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 Rhea Ripley of this Bobby Lashley faction that needs to be done. And then we could have a you know a, a triple threat match with Zelina um, and Rhea and um, Jade Cargill just to represent their three factions, which I think would be pretty cool. But I digress. Um, I I too can do Taz references. Um, but. It was a really, really fun match. I love to see I love to see Bobby Lashley, I love to see Montez Ford, and I love to see Dawkins. I was very disappointed with um the outcome because I just wanted them to win. But it's LWO, so I suppose I have to stick with that. Rey Mysterio, I love you. But Bobby Lashley deserved to get this win here because his faction needs to start getting traction. Look at these two guys making reference Jones over here. Hey. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I think well, this is another one that the the action in the match was just really a high pace, a lot of athleticism going on, uh, power and speed and athleticism from both kind of sides. Just really good. The notion that we talked about earlier from the previous match, how we have factions and this is potentially a thing for a tag team and or for some bit of growth and some prosperity. Um, it's one of those things where we have, uh, you know, little side pocket here i think representation is fantastic you know we have uh we have two different sort of ideologies here with bobby and the street profits um it's always great to see people um showing strong representation here uh for some of you that know i'm i'm of half latin descent so to see like the lwo to shine hispanic culture in a positive light um, is always fantastic to see, much like uh, Bobby and the Street Profits showing strong, strong figures and just, you know, kind of a winning attitude for folks like too. I think it's the intent of folks because sometimes people get scared, like maybe why are they lumping all the, the Hispanic folks into the LWO, for example, you know, type of thing. Um, you know, not to say that one a group has to have maybe a, a lot of folks of a certain uh, you know designation or anything like that. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing. For both of these groups, shining a uh, positive representation on that is great. You know, so it it gets people bought in. Uh, the world itself hasn't done a great job of showcasing folks from a lot of different backgrounds. So, but I'll get off my soapbox. It was just great to see that and folks getting opportunities. But the real quick going back to it, the notion of having Carlito come in, you know, it was that weird thing on Backlash, the pay per view right after WrestleMania took place in Puerto Rico. Yeah, and Rico. it was one of those things that I guess because it was happening in Puerto Rico, they just hot shot it. And we talked about it in a previous episode looking at that pay per view. The push of the LWO literally happened in eight days just before, like they started it on the Raw. They had a match on SmackDown, the pay-per-view was on a Saturday, and then they didn't push or didn't do anything after that because we didn't have yeah. any sort of Latin American thing. So they were they were formed just before Ray Mysterio went into the Hall of Fame. So that was the whole sort of yeah, cool, we are the LWO. And it's just one of those things. It's like, are you doing this because you want to do this? And or are you doing this because it makes sense? Or is it because, oh, it's going to make money in a month? 
it was obviously the latter, but I do. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna jump up on that soapbox with you. I do like to see that sort of thing. You know, I, I don't have any mixed heritage. I am pasty Irish man. Like it doesn't really matter to me. I just love to see uh good athletic individuals. And if it if it comes down to it, and I know you weren't, I know you weren't saying this, and I don't want people to think that I was lumping Jade in there just because of the color of her skin. She fits. Bobby Lashley's dynamic of excellence and the almighty. And I just feel like that would be so bloody good to see that team of four. Plus, I think she'll be a great foil for Rhea Ripley. But it's just one of those things that you look at it and you go, are you doing this to make money because it makes sense or just because you've nowhere else to put these toys? Um, sometimes it's the, the latter, but... Uh, I honestly feel like with these two factions, it's the former. It does make sense. And I feel like Ray sort of with the, with the sort of jumping off point for the LWO made sense for him to be like, in my last few years, this is what I want. I want to reform this and I want to bring Lucha Libre uh, back into the spotlight for WWE. Yeah, it could be something like a semi grooming for santos to be elevated with his association with ray if i'm not mistaken dragon lee has been like soft promoted to smackdown slash uh, yeah. raw type of thing so you know it's it's great we've always been trying to figure out wwe specifically who's the next like ray mysterio essentially for the latin market in a sense yeah i i honestly did think it was going to be like i was just waiting for dragon lee to come out i thought it was going to be him because like the last few weeks we've been sort of pushing him and bringing him in and showing him off. And I really like what he's got. Uh, you can, you can tell even beneath that mask that it's just Roosh. Um, <laughs> like, just, just not a, not Roosh. a ton of bl- a black curly, huge amount. Yeah, of hair, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It, It's you know, obviously you can tell these boys are all, you know, you know, Roosh and uh, Roosh is related to uh, Dragon Lee. And it's just like, you can tell, you can see that the facial structure, like Roosh, man. He's just playing both companies. Um, and he just, he has performed really, really well. And I, I, I love to see it. Um, and that soft motion where they thought like he was going to be in NXT for a year. It's good to see he's actually being hyped up on, on the main roster now. And up until Carlito came out, I was like, oh, why isn't the Dragon Lee? But then, you know, you read about it. Carlito's been signed since the summer and they have had nothing for him to do, which is surprising because you could have literally shoehorned this in a few months ago. You signed Carlito and you put the LWO in a match. Carlito comes out to make a save. Oh, you know, it's one of those things that could have been done months ago. But. Yeah, fair point. He made his uh, return at Backlash once again in Puerto Rico. And yeah, there were murmurings of uh, him being signed for a month now. So waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah, it made a lot of sense. Uh, folks were either potentially thinking Carlito or to a second extent, maybe a Dragon Lee. But yeah, I think it's I think it's cool. We got a nice little pop. He uh, looking real swole, looking real Jack baby. And we'll see if he is actually associated with the LWO or if he's just kind of, uh, you know, just a friend of Ray type of thing. But we'll probably see that uh, flesh itself out in the next coming uh, weeks. But yeah, once again, wind down this portion. Solid, just fun match. Uh, LWO going over. Great little reaction from the crowd. Definitely let us know down in the comment section below what your impressions of this match. Are you excited for Carlito to return? You think maybe Dragon Lee would have fit better? Let us know your thoughts down below.
And what do you think of Carlito's new entrance music? There we go. We'll uh, pass over the subsequent advert for Pizza Hut with Xavier Woods delivering a pizza. We'll move past that. Before we get into the next match, actually, a small little callback to the kickoff show. Jade Cargill arrives in Indianapolis at Fast Lane. She's greeted by a bunch of photographers, as well as Triple H shaking her hand and going into the arena itself, walking her inside. I had murmurings, or I was wondering if they would actually use her name, Jade Cargill. Uh, I posed that question to you offline probably about a week or two weeks ago when we had heard she'd sign, because they actually have another Jade, uh, Core Jade down in NXT. So, And of course, they're notorious for wanting to have a copyrighted name that they could market. But yeah, looks like even Michael Cole is shouting Jade Cargill. So oh, looks like we got that win. It's, she's been signed now, yeah. Like I said to you, whenever it was like, yeah, she's been... I had no doubts. Like As soon as I saw the fact that they were using her name... Um, on the on the on the official WWE uh site uh for for Twitter um that they were promoting it as Jade Cargill much to the same degree as Dragon Lee because when he was signed they didn't change him um it's just one of those things that why would you promote all of this money that you've spent for this premium talent or as they're calling her uh the hottest free agent um of the summer or what or some whatever uh, Cole said um and you know not use her brand name because she is that brand um i don't think she'll be able to kind of cut her same promos as she was uh on uh, on AEW referring to herself uh, as the the TBS um you know that bitch show champion and all that there i don't think she's going to be allowed to do that anymore but um yeah it's going to be a lot of fun to see Jade Cargill actually be utilized. And it was a bold, bold fashion statement that she made on her, uh, on her exiting the vehicle. Very flashy dress coming out of the uh, luxury SUV type of thing. Absolutely. There's no TBS. So you can't do that. Uh, really coming back from a commercial SNL thing line, that B show type of thing that Jade sometimes did in her early, uh, her earlier promos, but that notwithstanding, yeah, making her a big deal. So we'll see how that fleshes out for that. Appropriately happening uh, with the Jade Cargill backstage segment being replayed just before the women's match as we see champion EO Sky taking on Asuka and Charlotte Flair for the WWE Women's Championship in a triple threat match. Uh, right at the beginning, Asuka loved, loved her taking advantage of the no DQ rule in a triple threat match immediately sprays Charlotte with the mist, uh, hits her with a head kick and uh, gets a two, of course, after EO Sky breaks it up. Absolutely clever play by Asuka. Got a huge pop out of me. I rewound it and I was like, that's fantastic. I was like, the match just started with that. Um, and this momentarily uh, makes it a one-on-one match between the former Triple Tails uh, team there. Of course, the former Triple Tails teammate faction with Asuka known as Kana at the time Io and her sister Mio Sky or Shirai excuse me so nice little pop there uh fantastic little element there hitting her with the green mist of course uh you know adds a poison effect for the duration of the match so of course uh, Charlotte's going to be down for the count with a an effects for the remainder Charlotte ends up making her way back into the match and, of course, she has to go right after Asuka with some chops and forearms. 
Charlotte ends up having a really nice cross body off the top rope. I mean, something that Ricky Steamboat would be proud of. The landing can be sometimes a bit of sus depending on the, the opponent, but I got to say, you know, the form on the cross body, really, really nice. Charlotte ends up positioning EO in a fireman's carry on Brett's rope. And it seemed like, I don't know about you, like it took forever. I'm like, what are we waiting for? Of course, Charlotte was waiting, standing on Brett's rope because we had to have Asuka come in and do the Tower of Doom spot. I was like, man, this seemed like it took eternity to, uh, to finish that off. But uh, we had a cool way to uh, break up the figure four by EO with a Meteora coming off camera was fantastic. Absolutely love when they kind of do that. Uh, but the finish sees Charlotte unlocking Asuka in a figure eight. Bailey comes down to ringside where she came down earlier to support EO. She distracts the referee while Asuka taps out. EO hits the over the moon salt onto a bridging Charlotte for the win and the pinfall to retain her WWE Women's Championship in 1720, the longest match we've seen so far. Joker, your thoughts? It was a fine match. I, I'm going to uh, just dislike anything Charlotte Flair does for the, for the next while. Oh, Poochie. Um, oh, Poochie. She's just... Why is she in another title match? Just, like... Why, Charlotte? Go away. You really, like, I think Poochie was brought, you know, was taken away at the right time. This is like Poochie 2. Like, I don't know, but Charlotte has to be in a title match. Like, we get it. You're going to break your dad's and John Cena's record. We get it. We just don't want it to happen. Because there are more interesting title holders. Like, if you want to go and, and fight Bianca Belair, you know, then fair enough, you go and do that. Just don't do it for a title. If you want to fight Oscar or Io, go ahead and do that. Just not for a title. The same with Rhea Ripley. Like, I hope, I hope her first match is against Jade and Jade just squashes her because that would just make me so happy. Like, I know it's not going to be. It is a flight of fancy. But I would just love to see Jade squash Charlotte Flair for the last four months of whatever we've had to go through of her just going, like, talking to Bianca and saying, I will, you know, I, I, I want to get in line. You know, I want the title shot. And then just being in the title picture for whoever the heck she wants to be. She's just so pointless. Um, I, I did like the added sort of annoyance from EO uh, towards Bailey. It seems like we, we constantly do this with um, Damage Qatar, although, where it's a case of, oh, Bailey's peed off EO Sky, and they don't really like each other, and now they're coming down, and they're being annoying, and then they're best friends afterwards, and they're all a big family. Like, in the press conference afterwards, they were like, oh, we're all a big family. I'm like, we really need to do something with Damage Control. We need we need to pull that bandage real quick because um, it, it's it's coming. It's not coming fast enough. And unfortunately, because of that, we have Charlotte Flair just shoehorned into every match. And it'll just she just will never go away like a bad smell. Uh, real quick, one small correction for myself. The opening match, uh, Judgment Day and Cody and Jay went 20-40. So that was the longest match so far. Uh, this one went 17-20. 
But yeah, I think it's one of those where this one, again, came together real quick. It was about a week or so on SmackDown uh, where Bailey just said it out uh, in a post-match promo. If you want a triple threat because they were talking smack, Asuka came to Charlotte's rescue, then uh, you got it. And they're always teasing that dissension in damage, Kataro, like you said. I think it's probably they haven't pulled the trigger specifically maybe because Dakota is out hurt. Uh, I felt like we would have had that prior and already, or at least maybe EO would have broken off and we could have still had the pairing with Dakota and Bailey maybe in the tag team and stuff, but because Dakota got injured, we're having uh, Bailey and EO do those tag team matches. That notwithstanding, it's something that's continuing to uh, be teased and uh, we're eventually going to pull the trigger. Hopefully we don't have diminishing returns with that. Yeah, Charlotte's the ever stalwart. She'll always be one of those people that they'll push to the moon, a little Cameron Grimes baby type of deal a reference there. Uh, whether or not she wins the matches, she's always threatening. She's always like bang, banging on about, I need title shots, I need title shots, this, that, and a third. And, you know, they put her in here. She'll probably eventually, like you said, break the her dad's uh, and John Chenna's record. Or, uh, with her 400th women's championship match by uh, 2025, uh, that notwithstanding. L, I know you are a big fan of Charlotte, so that one was for you. But yeah, um, and then to one small point on the Jade thing, I think, yeah, the propensity to have potential nice fresh matchups. Um, I don't want us to blow our beans all the way. I think we're going to have to space out some of those things, like against a Charlotte, like a Bianca, uh, we can't have her challenge for the uh, championship um, too uh, too early. Obviously, it, the championship opportunities will come. But yeah, I think the the prospect of like a Jade with a Natalia or a Jade against a, a Nia or Jade against a Shayna, you know, or Chelsea to early on up into some of those like eventually a Becky, eventually an Io, eventually a Bailey and Charlotte type of thing. You know, we've got we've got plenty of women to have. You know, we'll space it out, obviously, and uh, type of thing. Uh, but yeah, I think the overall decent fun match, the Asuka and Io always make a fantastic showing and always make the matches fun, taking nothing away from Charlotte. Charlotte is a stalwart, of course, so she does. Uh, she's always an added element of a veteranship. So, but yeah, I think it was one of those where I was wondering, are they going to take the title off? No, okay, we kept it on her, which I think is fair. Uh, Asuka, obviously, Asuka and Charlotte have had their sort of time. Uh, let Io run with it a little longer, and we'll kind of see maybe what happens next for Io with damage control and Io for challengers. Yeah, Io's going to have to have something something brand new happen for her, um, and unfortunately, her next couple of opponents probably won't be the ones to unseat her. Uh, we may end up seeing the sacrifices of uh, a couple of people who are that upper card and have that sort of uh, that sort of pull um, before EO does eventually lose that title. Um, I I reckon there the damage Katara will probably break up by then, and one of those sacrificial lambs will be Bailey. But um, nepotism flare is definitely not going to lose her her title runs uh, situation, likely that she will be in uh, a one-on-one -on -one match with either Rio or Io next month. And it'll just be, or maybe another triple threat match because, you know, maybe she's not allowed to. 
But uh, I definitely don't want to see EO versus uh, Nia Jax. Um, I, I want to see Nia Jax just in the ring with a heavy bag because that way nobody can get injured. And um, yeah, I, uh, I, I really wish we were doing more with Sheena Baszler. Uh, I feel like she would be a credible threat uh, if we played our cards right. Um, and if they were building up um, a new faction for her, I'd be all for that. Um, just please give me anything except you know other than Charlotte Flair, um, and at least give Asuka a, a rake of wins because this as well is is not fun for me. Um, the match was a fine idea. The um, execution of it is done. It is round into the ground. And at this point, it's a stop. Stop. It's already dead. I find it quite interesting that you and I both talked about Raw uh, contenders because uh, probably on the booking side, just Rhea just doesn't defend her championship, and that's probably not her own fault. It's just the way she's booked. So we're just trying to find contenders for the SmackDown championship. So I mean, who 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 are you meant to bring to bear against the most popular woman in? The is she she is doing the Roman Reigns like I I can't talk bad about it because they're already doing it with Roman Reigns, but eventually she will have to defend this title of this being Rhea, and I feel like the only fighting champion at the minute for the women is Io because she's she's actually having title defenses she's actually you know engaging in her division whereas Rhea is just intimidating the men. As much as I love it, it's. I'm sorry, mommy. It's done. You need to move on. You need to. You know. You need to be showing your division why you are where you are, and that's just the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, we can never figure out the booking. Welcome to the women's side of getting the bad booking that the men get. So at least they're spreading it all around. Yeah, yeah. just. Fun match, of course. Uh, nice to see EO come out on top here. Uh, let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are on the women's championship match, EO retaining. Moving on to the next one here. Another tag team match. Play a holla holla holla. We see the greatest wrestler who's ever lived alive, John Cena, taking on the absolute megastar, Joker's favorite, Los Angeles Knight himself. Taking on the yeah. bloodline, taking on the bloodline, of course, which is basically only Jimmy Uso and Sol Sokoa. Before we get into the match proper, uh, Pat McAfee, and I always want to say Pat McAfee, so delicious, introduces uh, the greatest of all time ever in the history of the world, Mr. John Chenna, before taking a seat at the announce desk. Solo and Jimmy come out to Jimmy's new theme with the spooky, scary skeletons intro. Nice to dare doing that because it's the Halloween season. Nice little character work in the beginning. I love that Jimmy goes for a handshake and a dab, but Solo constantly ignores him and leaves him hanging. Jimmy just playing it off. So nice little story elements there. Nice little touches. But of course, John Cena at this point working a very slow pace with a lot of playing to a crowd, much more so than he did uh, for the most part of his career. We see at the start, of course, John did a move with Jimmy, played to the crowd. And then we get Jimmy grabbing a side headlock, which seemed like for ages they were holding that. It was probably only about 10 to 15 seconds while they were calling spots. You can tell they were definitely calling spots. <laughs> um, we'll get into oh, that. 
yeah, we'll get into that in a moment when uh, Solo goes for the bonsai drops. Um, but uh, this is definitely the sports entertainment portion of your programming. Cena taking all of the heat early on, of course, including the Rikishi slash Umaga, or if depending on what's your flavor, Umanga. Splash in the corner from Solo, and then Jimmy and Solo are tagging very well, of course, they're family and they're actually shoot brothers. And um, they continue to cut off Cena from LA Knight. We get that nice little hope spot right in the middle of Cena hitting the AA on Jimmy, but Solo tags in and knocks Knight off the apron so we don't get that hot tag. Eventually, John gets his knees up from a bonsai splash from Solo and finally hits that hot tag on Knight. Knight running wild on Jimmy with a clothesline with side Russian leg sweep and a swinging neck breaker before super kick cuts Mr. Knight off. Funny enough, John adds a seventh move of Doom with a crossbody on Solo, but uh, he gets one of his own from Jimmy, which leads to a quad down. Because, of course, we gotta get a little breather, baby. And then we transition to Knight throwing some rights and lefts onto both uh, Jimmy and Solo, which is a nice little touch. Before we're getting thrown over the ropes by Jimmy, and the finish sees LA Knight leap to the top rope to get that suplex. Jimmy off the top, Cena hitting that five-knuckle shuffle into a BFT on Jimmy. For the win in 1720. Joker, your guy, Mr. Los Angeles Knight himself, getting that pay-per-view win, giving a little bit of that rubski to the greatest of all time, the greatest who've ever lived, the greatest person in the whole entire world. Uh, that's, of course, a WWE trademark, Mr. John Cena. I, I, this, this was sports entertaining. Um... Jimmy, if nothing else, is 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 growing into this sleaze ball aspect of I'm trying to usurp it, you usurp the par, and I love him for it. Uh, I really feel like he is embracing this solo uh, lifestyle, you know, solo superstar, not his brother. Um, the um, the fact that uh, Jay is also kind of doing that on the babyface side, and Jimmy is is trying to be that super heel. I love it. Um, the Solo Sokoa, uh, the actual shoot brother of the Jimmy Uso, uh, ignoring him is hilarious. I bloody love it. It's just so good because, you know, it's that, it's that younger brother. It's like that younger brother energy. Jimmy being the older brother is clearly he's like, all right, bro, you know, you're trying, trying to daff him up, trying to daff him up. And then the younger brother's like, stop embarrassing me in front of my friends. And then just kind of gets out of the ring. Um, I love to see it. It was hilarious. And then Jonathan Chena and Loquacious Aloysius Knight um, were just just on point. They, I loved the fact that the, it was Cena taking all of the heat, um, building up to that that sort of hot tag for LNA to run wild. Um, I, I loved it. It was just so much fun. Uh, it wasn't a particularly. Uh, it, it wasn't a Brian Danielson, <laughs> Zack Saber Junior. <laughs> best technical wrestler match but it was it was filled with the the fun spots that you like to see filled with the the down spots for uh jonathan chena to call out every single spot that is required um which charlotte flair was also guilty of in the previous match which i forgot to mention they really need to turn down the sensitivity of the of the ring mics because it's getting like she waited in the right in the middle of the ring as well to do like some sort of suplex spot with the girls and it was just John Cena calling every spot 
so loudly for the last however many years he's been doing this should have been dealt with. Like, come on. But it, it, it adds it adds humor uh to the fact that, you know, he's he's calling all these spots and I loved it. Um It's a it was a good ending. It maybe ran a little bit long uh for for this kind of match because it, it, because it's a tag match, I suppose they could get away with it. Uh, but yeah, it was fine. It was good to see the bloodline taking those L's. And like we were talking about earlier on in the show, it could be Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, John Shena, and Loquacious Aloysius Knight in in the Survivor Series versus the Judgment Day Bloodline. So yeah, yeah, it was one of those. This was definitely sports entertained for sure. This is certainly not a three star match that you're gonna get, Mister Meltzer and Mister Brian Alvarez. This was definitely the entertainment value of it and definitely showed to your point about it maybe being a little long it's only five matches and they throw in a ton of adverts and a ton of replays and stuff so you could feel like they were probably trying to fill some time to get to uh, on a possible three hour i ended up uh, checking out the peacock length and it measured at 243 it wasn't even a full three hours i mean you maybe could have just given some extra time to the ladies <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> like it was a 17-minute match with John Cena like coming back for his first match. This could have been shortened by about four minutes and just giving it to the ladies. But, you know, it's John Cena. you got to milk that cash cow, baby. Uh, and the fact that LA Knight is on screen didn't hurt. But it was just my personal opinion that maybe it was a bit too long. No, I mean, I felt it because, again, like I had mentioned, there's just a hit a move, play to the crowd. Oh, my God, how could he do that? Hit a move, grab a side headlock. Is uh, the run the ropes of all time. Run the ropes, hit a uh, tackle. Oh my god, did you see what he just did? Like, I know we get it. Like, we, you know, maybe the cardio's not there, but yeah, we're stretching for time, brother. 17 adverts. Uh, you know, uh, get a little pizza spot in there. But yeah, it was one of those uh, you talked about. It's always funny. Uh, and, it's, and I'm not even looking for it. And the whole John Cena just screaming spots. I've talked about it before. One of my favorite spots. I'll never, ever forget. Royal Rumble 2018. Right at the end of the match, Roman uh, Reigns and John Cena are doing the, uh, oh my god, we're staring at one another. Could this be the WrestleMania showdown or whatever? Shinsuke and Finn Balor are lying on the ground waiting to do their spot, giving uh, Roman and John Cena the face-off. John screaming, Shinsuke now! Now! Shinsuke! And you see him mouthing it, and Roman's still doing the, oh my god, that type of thing. Never forget that. It's one of my favorite, like, what the hell are we doing moments. John, I just think I love it. every moment that John's in the, like, he was, it was a, it was a tag match with the Miz or something. And he was in the middle of the ring and he was just sort of calling everybody to slow it down, build suspense, wait for the tag. And whoever it was he was tagging with just immediately stopped and lay there and waited. And was just like, this is just like, why do you do this, John? It's just so bad. They had it on SmackDown a couple months back. Maybe it was that one in December of last year. Uh, Sammy and Roman versus John and his partner. I even forget Probably. who it was. Maybe KO. Probably. And he's just screaming because of the fact that they had, if you remember, the cameraman up on the corner on the steps, aiming down, and Jessica Carr is like, John's Sheen is like, screaming, wait. And then <laughs> Jessica Carr is like, no, wait, 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 wait screaming i'm just like come on guys what are we doing i'm pretty sure you're right actually <laughs> uh, maybe i'm mixing them up but i'm pretty yeah. sure you're right that was the one because it's the yeah. most 
vivid one in my mind of John just being on that ring apron going, just wait, wait not yeah. yet. But he yeah. has his hand out, you're like, no, and then he gets yep. the tag, you're like, oh my god. All right. Well, obviously, we're talking more about John Cena screaming spots, but yeah, sports entertainment. Uh, certainly not your uh, your technical wizard, but yeah, a lot of uh, Gaga in this one and just kind of showing off. And yeah, just sort of Mr. Lamar Aloysius getting the uh, the John Cena rub as much as Mr. John Cena is getting a little bit of the rubski from the man himself, the Los Angeles Knights himself. So yeah, cool thing, cool little spot. Nice to get. Uh, LA Knight getting the uh, the win and the pinfall there. So, yep. Definitely let us know down in the comment section below on uh, YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know if you were sports entertained about this one. And uh, we'll see if Mr. LA Knight uh, has some more potential tag team wins. Currently undefeated, but we'll see how it goes going forward. All right. And the main event of the evening. Mr. Seth Rollins taking on Shinsuke Nakamura in a, the third match in the series, if I'm not mistaken. This one is a last man standing match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Nice little portion early on, Shinsuke toying with Seth at the beginning portion, making Seth chase him. I definitely wanted him to WCW Seth in the beginning. We'll probably get a little bit of that later on, but we see him targeting the back, of course, we've from the beginning. All the matches on pay-per-view that they've been talking about the back, they've been targeting in the back, throws him into the barricade. Seth gaining control. Nice little spot of him just being frustrated, lifting up the padding and the ringside area. Of course, we'll see that come into play a little later on. He was looking for that power bomb, but Shinsuke wiggles out and eats the steel steps regardless. So that's a little Easter egg for later on. Uh, and we see Rollins bringing out the plunder from under the ring, some trash cans, some kendo sticks, some chairs, some tables. Obviously, we're getting into the no-DQ portion of a last-man-standing match. Nakamura, the martial artist, as Michael Cole likes to say, strikes Seth with nunchucks. I was a little concerned that this was a little too on the nose. What about you? Yeah, I I thought, hmm, it's like, are we really going for the nunchucks? Like, He's, you know, it's isn't he like Taekwondo or something like this here? And, and, and I don't know the exact martial arts that he, he he is, you know, practicing, but I don't think any of them are ones where he, it looked really awkward. Like that first hit, he just kind of threw it. And I was like, okay. So you're going for the racial profile of every Asian person knows how to use nunchucks. Wow. Like I said, a little too on the nose. I know Shinsuke does some BJJ, so I don't know if, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know about maybe some other disciplines, but yeah, for sure. Then we see Shinsuke dominating early on, get some offense with the kendo stick, trash can, uh, tope suicida from Seth onto Shinsuke, that is, and the ending sequence with the top rope frog splash. I thought it was a nice little sequence there. The men end up making their way towards the stage. Both Seth and Shinsuke climb up on the edge of the grandstands. Shinsuke doing the WrestleMania AJ Styles throwback with the low blow. Ends up uh, throwing, or rather pushing Seth off of the grandstands onto a nearby platform. But of course, that's not going to stop Seth. Eventually, he gets up. Back near the ringside, we see Rollins wanting to go for pedigree. But Nakamura backdrops Seth on the exposed concrete. Told you to stay tuned. We're going to remember that because we came back to it finally. 
we end up uh, finally seeing a uh, well, crazy little spot. Shinsuke hits a set of double knees through a table on the outside. I thought that was just like crazy depending on the camera angle because we were like basically Shinsuke was coming right into our computer, right into our living rooms, right into our television set. But of course it's not the finish because Seth has to beat the count at nine. Make it add a little drama there. At least they, in the earlier portions, they didn't fully go towards the nine because, you know, you kind of have to slowly beat it. If, if, I, if I'm like five minutes in and you hit some offense, and I'm going to nine already. Like, how am I supposed to at the 10 or 15 or 20 minute mark? You know, it's I'm just like, at least they tried to pace it out and waited to the full, you know, nine and nine quarters, you know, <laughs> to do yeah, that on the counts. You definitely have to be waiting until you're at that 18 plus minute mark before you start. Like, if you're getting that sort of time before you start even treading towards the 78 nines for me, if you hit that far too early, I'm like, we're going to be sitting here for ages while they absolutely destroy each other. And then they're still going to stand up at nine. So yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose of the do it too, too quick, too soon. But I, I feel like they paced it pretty okay. And this wasn't, wasn't over overcooked. Yeah. Not toward obviously towards the end. Did we really get those longer counts? I think that was a fair play. Then we see Rollins positioning Nakamura on the announce desk. Seth climbs a ladder positioned next to the table. Perhaps looking for a frog splash, but Shinsuke cuts Seth off, spraying the deadly red mist. Of course, we saw the green mist, which added poison damage. This is plus five to burning effect for the rest of the match, naturally, uh, which leads to Seth breaking the announce table, which I thought was a cool little spot. So, And then uh, finally, towards the end, back into the crowd once again, we make our way to yet another platform. Rollins hits a pedigree and a stomp, and then a falcon arrow through a nearby table positioned near that said platform. Shinsuke is unable to break the 10 count as we see Seth Rollins win in 28-25. Joker, what were your thoughts on this one? Um, Seth can really, really sell. Like, Seth is very, very good at selling this story of the back. We've known about the story of the back since before his Logan Paul match, um, or since his Logan Paul uh, interview on the Impulsive podcast, rather. Um, and it was from there we started to sort of have this idea that Seth could lose this, and it would be based off of struggle and strife and the injury uh, issues that he's had. Um, and Shinsuke has sort of leveled up his sort of evil uh, sort of stalkerish vibes, I suppose you could kind of say, with, um, with calling out what he would do to Seth and how he's going to disappoint his family, his daughter, his wife, etc. Um, so it's been really, really cool to see this evolution of Shinsuke Nakamura um, compared to what we've seen from him before. The only problem I have with it is the fact that we see the same gosh darn results with Nakamura losing every match. It's annoying because we should be capitalizing on what Nakamura is doing and giving him the title. Now, I would agree with a lot of people on the internet like a lot of people want to see seth with a title but once he has that title we can't wait to take it off him and that's because 
Seth does such a good job of elevating that title in such a short space of time. That title that he has, the World Heavyweight Championship, is but what six months old at this point, not Give or even. Take. Yeah. Yeah. So in that short space of time, we've had a couple of decent contenders that have been fairly large names. And then we have this really, really good string of matches that he has had with Shinsuke. This last man standing match, of course, being Seth's first in WWE, which is really, really cool. Now, once that little nugget of information came out, you knew Seth wasn't losing the dang thing, which to me just kind of points in the direction of the trilogy is now over. Shinsuke needs to go away now and maybe see to something else. And now we have to find the next contestant for who defeats Seth and utilizes the back injury. Um, This is something that we could eke out until WrestleMania um, for Seth that I see them possibly giving him if we're going with longer title reigns for solo uh, titles because, you know, I'm not talking about them undisputed WWE tag team titles. Um, Yeah, so we could see a long reign for Seth. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him drop the belt at Royal Rumble or Elimination Chamber. Uh, but I can definitely see him dropping it at Mania, him being Mr. the new Mr. WrestleMania. Um, so it's it's one of those things that this match did a lot of heavy lifting for Seth. Um, and unfortunately for me, I just don't know if we are utilizing Shinsuke correctly. Now is is this is this just my personal opinion? Yes. Is this something that I, I feel like is valid for Shinsuke? It's like, yes, because we have been building him after fumbling the bag with Shinsuke for a long period of time. We've had this really good character design with him and in this Seth sort of feud. And I really have enjoyed it. But I really wanted to see something for Nakamura at the end of it. And now it just means that he has to go away and do something else. If if we get a fourth match, like it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be good. Um I don't see a fourth match happening between these two. We're coming up to Survivor series, which things tend to be brand splitty or faction based with a lot of factions. We now we could see more faction based stuff this year again, which means we're less likely to see the World Heavyweight Championship defended, which would give Seth some time to recuperate. All in all, the match was fine. Um, I think that they they paced it really well with the counts. Um, The big spots, the hardcore spots were fun. Um, But I just feel like uh, I don't feel fulfilled after the match. I feel a little bit empty after that match. To that very last point, I think it's a little bit of diminishing returns. WWE is phenomenally known for best of three series. I mean, that was the standard. Three pay-per-views in a row, the same exact matchup for the world title per se. They've done it at nauseum in the past, and this is just another example of that. So maybe a little diminishing returns maybe makes sense. Because you're just like, all right, well, you know, do we, do we get a fourth? Uh, it doesn't make sense if, if Jinsuke lost three times, you know? 
uh, type of deal, unless uh, Seth challenges him type of deal. But uh, it's also one of those where you said, Seth, whenever we put a belt on him because of his athleticism and uh, to a certain degree, a little bit of his character work, he just makes matches exciting and want to watch. Just don't put Seth in a hell in a cell because uh, that gentleman just does not have a, a track record for numerous reasons in a hell in a cell. <laughs> yeah, that's his, uh, that's his uh, not, uh, not so good match. Please, please keep away from hell in a cell. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, I mean, fair play again. Exciting match. Uh, fun. Just kind of went all over. I can understand if folks feel a little flat, much like you said possibly diminishing returns but we're kind of trying to figure out all right well we've seen this in in, in a different guys this match three times so trying to figure out maybe who comes up next we've got crown jewel november 4 right in the early portion of november and then once again probably towards the end of november survivor series so might get some random one-off rando match for seth there and then into something for survivor series perhaps I definitely want to see more from Shinsuke. Love me some Shinsuke. I love the fact that him being allowed to cut promos in Japanese makes him slightly more heelish because we as an American, North American, mostly English-speaking uh, contingent, both uh, you know in, in the States, in North America, in parts of Europe, uh, Australia, you know, various portions, because we can't understand specifically what he's saying uh, we can't align with him, and it automatically makes this this feeling of friction or indifference. So that, even this little subtle thing of him doing that either live or in those tape vignettes, speaking Japanese, definitely adds that little character work, and it's nicely done there. And it's not overdone, too. I love it. I, I love it. He, he has a real different cadence to him than Io and Asuka do when they're cutting promos in Japanese. Like, Asuka is very fast like she is very fast and very aggressive eo sort of kind of keeps up with with asuka but she can't slow that slow the cadence of how she sounds down but the presentation of shinsuke is very serial killer murdery vibes he's very slow in in his structure of how he's talking and it's just so like Whenever you hear a Shinsuke, uh, when we hear a Shinsuke speak, um, you're you're kind of watching it and reading it and listening to it, and like this guy is psychotic. Like like you're you're drawn in. You're you're listening and you're you're feeling what he's saying, even though you can't understand it. You get the sort of venom behind his words. You get that he wants to hurt this man, being Seth Rollins. Like you could, you could have some generic guy say those exact same promos in English, and they would suck. It's the fact that it's in Japanese. It's the fact that it's Shinsuke delivering it in his cadence that makes him sound like a legitimate threat. And that's what I have loved about the the build for for Shinsuke because he he has that sort of Randy Orton snake viper vibe about him to me. Like the the they just sort of slow, methodical, calculating until they until they attack, and then it's relentless. These promos with Shinsuke got a little bit of that Jake's 
Jake the Snake Roberts vibe, that that sort of calming, I'm going to draw you in, not the big, fat, sweaty, shouty man promos from the 80s, but that little bit more of the Jake style. But yeah, yeah, I think 100%. it's one of those cool, it's just, it's it's a little bit different uh, coat of paint on there, and it adds to that nature, so. Yeah, all around, just solid one. Um, here, I'll just, I'll just put you on the spot, just came up to my head as you were talking. November 4, Crown Jewel, one-off random uh, match in Saudi, who would you randomly throw Seth against? Oh, that's a good question. We're going to have to have somebody that comes in just based off of random, have to have a fight, Rey Mysterio maybe. I know he's in SmackDown, but, you know, that's a thing. Yeah, these are the non-canon. They, they yeah, just yeah, like, well, yeah. Well, they have, they have been more canon in recent. They have been more canon, let's just say. They haven't strictly been as canon. Yeah. Um. Well, you well, can have say, you can have a Brock versus Ricochet at a Saudi show, which actually happened. I was, so I'm well, saying, yeah. yeah, I was I was going to say Goldberg, but he's no longer under contract. So, I would I would probably say somebody like Ray or Bobby, um, both being SmackDown superstars. That doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see us. I was I was about to say Finn, but then we we, we recently just got off that. Um, nobody in judgment there. You know what? How about a Jey Uso? Jey Uso versus Seth Rollins. There you go. How about that one? Yeah. yeah, just, you know, sometimes it, it is random. You know, you're just like, a, just a one-off. Doesn't have to have a huge story. It's a one-week build. Boom. And then we're never going to see it or talk about it ever again. So, yeah, I think Jey's kind of cool. It's something a little different, you know? Uh, yeah, that could be a cool one. So, yeah, I'd be, I'd be open. Who would, who would you pick? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of somebody random. Uh, going su- super off the cuff and totally random because those are what those matches are. Let me get a Bronson Reed because I know you're a Jonah fan. So yeah, yes, just a, yes, you yes, know, yes. random one-off match, Seth and, and Bronson Reed. So at, uh, at Crown Jewel or Saudi or whatever this one's called. So. And it just came back to my head. The other reason Wrestle Dream was really good is because Bad Dude Tito was on that show. Bad freaking dude Tito. We love to see Bad Dude Tito, and he's so good. The Mighty Don't Kneel are definitely an underrated faction. And the fact that Zack Sabre Jr. is in that faction, like, you know. Sorry, I know you mentioned you mentioned my man Jonah, so uh, I had to I had to get a shout out for Bad Dude Tito out there too. All good, my brother. So with that, uh, we see. Rollins retain. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are on Seth Rollins retaining over Shinsuke in the last man standing match. Who do you want to see next for Seth? Uh, who's going to get that random one off match with Seth at the Saudi show on November 4? All right, I'm doing a really quick surprise and I didn't fill in Joker because I'm doing this right off of the cuff. Second Brucey bonus segment. The press conferences. So, real quick, what are your thoughts oh. on the on the WWE press conferences after these shows? Now, as as a as an entity, as a thing that they're doing, I think that they're just doing it because AEW is doing it. Hundred percent. Um, like there's legitimately no reason for them to have just started these things because AEW are doing them. Um, with the exception of the the Cody and Jay one, like they were all pretty generic. Well, actually, Loquacious Aloysius Knight had a good one too. 
Um, and there was some pretty stupid. Actually, last night's press conference was probably more entertaining than the than Fastlane itself because somebody asked EO Sky if she would like to wrestle Taylor Swift. Whoever that is, by the way, punch yourself in the face. What are you talking about? Like, ask an actual question. You're there to be a journalist, not somebody who's chasing Travis Kelsey's clout the NFL has, okay? Calm down. There's no shot. But uh, I do love the fact that we had very, very drunk Jay Uso just shouting yeet and barking all the time and slightly tipsy Cody Rhodes. Maybe better. Maybe he was better equipped to uh, sort of mask the fact that he was very drunk because these boys these boys just watched a three-hour pay-per-view there was no shot they weren't shotgunning beers in the back um but yeah (laughs) it's like do you feel me i mean do you feel him sir uh to get back to your actual question because i digress mr digressing jones um we we are definitely seeing these things happen because aw doing them i like to see them because they're not strict promos and we get to see a little bit of the personality of the characters coming out. Uh, so I would say it's pretty it's pretty fun. Um, with the AEW ones, I skim through those as well. So I skim through the, the WWE ones. These aren't canon events, so I, I, I don't take it too seriously, but it's fun. Yeah, 100% agree with you that these are a reaction to AEW doing the um, post-match press conference thing. I don't recall when it started, but if I have a hankering, uh, feel free to let us know if you know when it started, and I'll do my post-match research here. But I feel like SummerSlam last year when Papa H took over was probably around the time when they started doing, or shortly thereafter, 100% post-AEW style uh, because they're doing it as a reaction thing. But yeah, all those points ahead gives them a little bit of time to do improv and to kind of answer questions, a little bit more of a sports vibe. 100% 100% the highlight was Jay and Cody trying to show you that they're not drunk uh, with their answering of the thing. I can tell Jay was uh, was having fun with it, trying to uh, absolutely probably had a little, couple more of the libations, as Cody said, right when they went out there. Cody's eyes, when they did the close-up, were a bit dilated. I have, you know, nothing against uh, people... The having a couple drink skis. Definitely sent to them, but he was like, I've got to, I've got to tell these guys they got a press conference. It's like, knock on the bus door because yeah. you know they're on Cody's bus. He's like, boys, you've got to go to the press conference. And they're just lying there completely yeah. bastard. Like, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. Splashing water on their face. Whoever you are, of course, you know, if you're going to do some stuff, just do it responsibly, of course. But yeah, these guys were probably uh, maybe one to two sheets to the wind. And they was like, Cody, uh, at the end, of course, you mentioned the, uh, you know, do you feel me? You eating? Sir, do you have you felt him? Do you feel him? Do you, do you feel him, sir? Uh, towards the end, it, the uh, basically, yeah. <laughs> Long rant. <laughs> uh, wait, what did you ask me? What was the question again? The the bonus question. He was like, "Yeah, we'll take one more bonus one or whatever." This, that, and a third before Triple H comes up, and he was just like, uh, "You know, would you want to essentially work at the PC because nobody took over for Dusty and the promo classes and stuff like that? Would you want to do?" And he was like, "Man, he's." The, they're supposed to be easy ones. They're supposed to be a, a quick, you know, toss, and he gave us a heavy one. You could tell he was like, oh, crap, I, I regret asking for a bonus question. Um, but yeah, it was, um, I do I do like that it's, you know, it's it's non-kayfabe. It's, you know, John was putting over 
uh, Mr. Lamar Aloysius Knight, the Los Angeles man himself, uh, to that to that point. Uh, so I definitely like that. You know, the the nice little kind of family thing. Um, I think EO as well. I think some folks were like, she's doing that. But, you know, she she was very elegant and, you know, she answered the questions fully out there. I think, you know, folks were concerned if, if she maybe didn't understand all the English, but, you know, don't let that stop you. And, of course, the highlight of um, Jay and Cody. And then the first thing Papa H says when he sits down, yeet. If we if the only thing we get from that is a Papa H yeet, then uh, that, that so press conferences are interesting, fun. They're not required reading. They're not required literature for that little kind of little bonus thing, like we're doing a little bonus thing now. But yeah, I think they're they're fun. Hey, would you like to see them continue? Yeah, if we're, if we're going to get some more sound bites and some more interesting stuff, then definitely. I hope the boys aren't reprimanded for for acting like that because. That that is the whole point in having these. Like you we're seeing their character. Like I even I even think that um LA Knight had uh, part of his segment bleeped because he swore on it because he said John John Chena oh, called him a son of yeah, something yeah. like that there. Yeah. And it was just like I mean, just just give us this sort of stuff, you know. Let let us see this, and then I love the fact that, like you said, or EO EO Sky calling somebody an idiot. Like it's just no, I don't. I, like EO Sky understands you. She just may may not be able to be as vicious. She may want to call you something a lot worse. But uh, yeah, definitely keep these going. Um, I think these will continue. For as long as AEW has them continue. Let's put it that way. I think that's a fair play. And of course, at the time of recording, we're going to see the uh, semi-war on Tuesdays. Of course, we're having a uh, Tuesday Dynamite this coming week. This is, of course, going to be released and recorded. Birthday. birthday as well. And a little title Tuesday Dynamite. I'm pulling out all the stops. A little pay-per-view quality NXT with, with The Undertaker and... John Cena and Paul Heyman and Becky and Oscar and everybody under the sun trying to uh, trying to show up. So we're getting a little bit of the uh, competition. No, no, it's not. But yes. Spoiler alert, PT. I'm still not watching that, that NXT. There you go. <laughs> I'm still not watching NXT, boys and girls, because I don't care enough about it. It's right. just like you can give however many belts you want to to Becky from nxt but if she still has to wrestle those you know those those upstarts and that's what we're watching some of them are good don't get me wrong you know carmelo hayes like get him on that main roster Braun breaker maybe keep him down there for a little bit longer but no still not watching that nxt baron corbin oh is he still down there oh yeah okay there you go all right we're gonna wind down with that so as long as AEW is uh having a competition with WWE. looks like they might continue that. But yeah, a little extra on the spot, a little Brucey bonus, a little extra second Brucey bonus for that. Let us know down in the comment section below. This up on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Let us know what your thoughts are on these press conferences, and if you want to see more of them, see them continue. What was your favorite part of that one from last night's Fastlane? Yeet. All right, so that's going to wind down for us over here. Lots of things happening on the fast lane, some title change, some uh, rematches, lots of tag matches on this match for, uh, for this pay-per-view card for sure. But yeah, 
quite the interesting for a not quite an A, not quite a B, maybe a C level pay per view. Were you at least sports entertained, Joker? I was sports entertained. It was sports entertaining enough, but this is more like a D plus pay per view. There was stuff that happened, but at the end of the day, did we really achieve anything? Things happened, matches happened, press mat, press conferences post pay per view happened. But... That that is a plus. That is not attached to the pay per view in my mind. So let's just take that outside. That's a plus. Pay per view drags that way down. It's a little a bit of a shame when the press conference after the fact was maybe a little bit more engaging than the majority of it. But notwithstanding, lots of adverts. Oh, man. Did you want to buy pizza? Let us know for sure. I actually did want to buy pizza. Oh, my God. It's working. No. <laughs> I was so hungry while I was watching it. So maybe that's the maybe that's the only reason why. Be that as it may, quite the interesting new tag team champions. And we're kind of it's one of those where we're just trying to figure out as we get towards the end of the year. Once again, before we start up in January for the Royal Rumble and the march towards WrestleMania. So this is sometimes can be a little bit of a lull with the October, November, December type of thing. So, I mean, we'll kind of see what happens at Survivor Series. We get a little bit of shot in the arm. Maybe if we get a little bit of a War Games matchup there. But yeah, overall, I think it was uh, it was all right. The matches themselves were entertaining with or without kind of the storylines separate from them. So I think is a fair assessment. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Fair enough, yeah. The amount of matches were pretty good, yeah. Fair play. So hopefully you folks enjoyed it. Uh, we got more things coming down the pipeline from WWE shortly to pay-per-views in November. Of course, there's murmurings of another big show from AEW, but we'll look at to covering those things as and when they happen. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with us and enjoying this episode here. So we had a, a couple weeks off, but thank you for consuming that. So we'll wind down with this. Joker, appreciate you sticking in with this long, long show here. It is what it is, but we'll wind down. We'll get on out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you still being here. We'll get out of here. Thank you so much for TF Joker. Did you in fact feel him, sir? Let us know if you felt him. And for me, Pretty Tony, thank you for your time and letting us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and we will catch you next time. Peace.